Welcome to season three. Welcome to season three of this most unbelievable podcast. We're doing it, Paul. We're doing it, Sherry. Here we are again. Here we are again. So season one, we had no plan. And no plan is what we got. Season two, we made it plan. How do things move through the body, the heart, and the head? And so now we go into season three. Do we have a plan? We don't really have too much of one, but a couple of things we notice keep coming up. So what are our reoccurring themes that we think will guide us? Connection. What do you think, Sherry? Connection and persistence. Connection and persistence. These are pretty big themes, Paul. These are pretty big themes, Sherry, and we'll do our best to cover them well here in season three. And we thank you, dear listeners, for listening in as we figure out more about connection and persistence this season. If you like what you hear and you want to support this podcast, please support us on Patreon or visit our website to hear about any of the upcoming workshops that we're offering. Thanks, y'all. Now on with the show. Hey, Paul Fitzgerald. Hey, Sherry Spiegel. What's going on? Not much. How's it going over there? It's going well, and it's going even better now because we are recording a podcast, and we know how much I enjoy that, and I think you do too. Yeah, I was going to say, yep, just you. (laughs) (laughs) You've been patiently along for the ride for the past 35 episodes of this most Mm -hmm. unbelievable podcast. You're very kind. You're very kind. Just so kind. Yeah, today's the day where I tell you, yeah, you know, Paul, I don't really like this. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's not working. I have summoned you to this place on, (laughs) what is this? Is this our 30? I think this is 36. 36. Yeah, I think this is 36. So we're we're approaching my age in podcast episodes. And when we approach my age in podcast episodes, then we'll really be... uh... It will take us an additional another, 12 weeks. Yeah, another 12 weeks. Yeah, yeah. I was going to we'll say. Get there. Maybe, we'll I'm, get maybe there. I'm building this up to be more dire than it is. Yeah, it'll take us another 12 weeks. So It's not that, yeah. Three, four months, depending on the month. Paul likes to pretend that he's ancient, but he's not. You should have seen the gray hair on the cutting room floor at the hair cuttery today. You should have seen the gray hair. I didn't have time to because it was only there for 20 minutes. Yeah, my haircuts are quick. They are. We have discussed this. Ah, so in length. So, you, uh, how are things going over there? You always ask me how things are going over here. I usually say how it goes, and then we get out, get onto it. How are things going over there, Doctor Spiegel? Uh, how are things going? You know, things are fine. Um, things are and are not fine. I mm-hmm. guess is is mm-hmm. the truth of the matter. Um, I do not like pain, and yet, yeah. I've been experiencing a little bit of pain, so I'm working through that. Like, there's a little shoulder thing. Yeah, happening your shoulder is here. persistent. Uh, totally persistent. fell yesterday. Pretty sure my ankle is sprained. Um, but I don't know if you know this, but I've sprained my ankles so many times uh, that it just doesn't really phase me. It's just like, oh, that's a thing I did. Hmm. And the reason for this, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but uh, when I was young, for a period of time, I did artistic roller skating i think that is new information for not just for me well if it's new information for me it must be new information for our beloved listeners yeah so um, uh how do i want to even bring this topic up sherry um 
uh, I'd be very interested to hear more about this. <laughs> Walk you know, me it, through, right? Roll me through. What? Uh, what, what roll you me know through. What that is. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. so what is, what is it? What is it? What is artistic roller skating? Well, it's just like you know, ice skating that you might have seen on television, like the Olympics or whatever. Um, so yeah, so I was basically doing um, like roller skating, but then um, you know, got past the old just ability to do laps around the rink at like skate night on that's where i that's how far i got that's how far i got that was like the pinnacle of my roller skating ability yeah so i took formal lessons uh in roller skating um yeah so i took lessons and then i ended up being like put on i forgot what we called it but like there were like levels that when you got to you learned to do uh figures which was basically like tracing the eights that are on the the, the rink floor uh, so that you basically learn like really high level control of uh, basically your ability to like circle. I don't, I don't really understand how to describe this actually. I've never there had to eights, describe it in this length. There are eights on the roller rink floor? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, there's like, if you, hmm. I, I don't know the last time you went to a roller skating rink. It's been a while. Oh. I gotta be honest. It's been per- a while. <laughs> Perhaps we should go one day. It's been um, a while. But, like, on the ring floor, there are usually these um, these circles uh, on the floor, um, you know, etched into the, the actual, not etched, but, like, below the, the wax on the floor. Yeah, right, right, right. And it's basically, like, three circles that are, like, met up to one another. Kind of Venn diagram-y, but just Okay, in a row. gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, and so you skate through them, and so you start, and there are different figures that you do to sort of learn uh, different kinds of levels of command of just... Your skates, basically. So that was one level that you could compete at. It's just the figures. That was kind of like the most basic level. Compulsories, so to speak. Mm-hmm, right? The mm-hmm. compulsories. It's, yeah. yeah, it's the skill portion. And then right, um, right. there was also uh, dance, which was basically like a specific, There, you know, there's specific kinds of, uh, you the know. The triple lutz, the salcow, the... You know, yeah so yeah, yeah so like you know you learn a different routine and then yeah and there are jumps and all of yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah. thing Very cool. but on roller skates and um i only competed once uh but i think the reason i'm thinking about it is because the competition i was part of uh was right around halloween and so there is this whole like costume version of the competition where you put on a costume to perform oh, mercy. Mercy. uh your figures uh and um, I got so anxious about it that I ended up like, like I had like a whole panic attack and did not perform in the costumed portion. Um, wow. and basically like begged my mother to take me home. How, so how old are we talking here? How, uh, how old is Sherry was, at this time? I was 10. How 10. old is the Sherry who is telling this story right now? 10 years old. Um, okay. I do have a picture of this time in my life. I can't believe, you know, Paul and I have exchanged uh, unflattering pictures from our youth, but I did not send you this one. Yeah, I, this one's new to me. This one's mm-hmm. new. Where, mm-hmm. is, is this a picture with you, like, in skates? And, mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and, like, a whole skate outfit, you know? like mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> no, like, the just point think about... Like, no, I have no idea. So, think... like a like, a... What you would expect kind of thing from like yeah. watching figure skating or something? Yeah, like a leotard situation. Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. cool. Cool. Yeah. 
So that exists in the world. And, um, oh, I also, like, we had a, a show, like a recital. Uh, and we had a whole routine that was to, like, Indiana Jones, like the theme wow. song. Yeah. Wow. So. Wow. See, I didn't do that. I, you know, it's not shocking to, it is not as shocking to me to learn that you've never done artistic roller skating. Yeah, I haven't done than that. Than it is for you to learn that I have. Yeah, I haven't done that. Um, and you did this for like a year, a couple of years or? Yeah, I did it uh, probably for a couple of years. Um, and then it's, it gets expensive pretty quickly um, with the costuming and the. You have to buy the fancy skates, not the El Cheapos. That yeah, sort of I had some to your great skates, which I only sold about uh, about 10 years ago. I love those skates. But yeah, I, um, so, but because the reason for the story is because uh, when you're doing skating, like you fall all the time. I mean, it's, yeah, totally. you know, like it's you learn happen. to do jumps by failing to do jumps. Right. Um, right. So my wrists crack and pop quite a bit because i never got the hangle like handle on how to fall properly because you're not supposed to catch yourself with your hands well you fall properly you fall improperly either way you're hitting the floor so i mean it's yeah uh but yesterday i like stood up and because i don't know i'm just well i wasn't present in the moment right and so i'm just kind of thinking about where i'm going and not thinking about the fact that your feet should land and so i totally rolled my ankle and fell but you know what my hands are fine because in that situation i fell properly with my hands here and not Mm -hmm. yeah so uh fun facts with sherry is now over (laughs) well if we can if we can do this uh I don't know what you would call it, the uh, the appendix really quick. When's the last time you wore skates? Mm, the last time I wore skates. It's been it's been a little while. Um, mm. In fact, when the pandemic really got going, that was one of the things I con- contemplated doing was buying some speed skates. Yeah, that was because that's another part of the appendix. That's appendix B. Is are these like uh, rollerblades that you were wearing, oh, or were these kind oh, of the? Oh no no no. <laughs> The standard old school skate. Two trunks, four yeah, wheels. Right, right, right. Two and two. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was not a rollerblader. Okay. Now, I did own uh, a pair of hockey skates, like rollerblades. Yeah, right. Uh, to skate around the neighborhood. But no, no, no. I'm just saying our listeners may have questions as I do. So mm, that's fair. I'm just thinking but about yeah, that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, uh, those of us who skated at the rink always had a little disdain for the people who showed up with their rollerblades. Posers. Oh, except for, of course, if you're coming to actually play hockey, then I understand it. But. Yeah, then it makes sense. Then it makes sense. So what What does, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying not to make this the subject of this whole podcast, but. I'll transition having, it. It's fine. Having, having, having worn both, what is the feel difference between the rollerblade and the two by two skate? What does one afford that the other does not? A toe stop. Is that it? I mean. I mean, that's that's the reason that I am loyal to regular skates as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, roller. Like, uh, I don't know. I think that. I think you skate differently. Um, you feel the bearings under your feet in different ways. You mm. shift your weight differently. Um, but. What you can do with a toe stop, like there are jumps that are not possible 
in a rollerblade. Mm, um, interesting. I don't think. I mean, maybe like do rollerblades have a toe stop? Paul, do you know what a toe stop is? I, I do, but you know, I'm resisting the urge to Google it right now. Um, uh, I, I don't remember. Maybe that's I mean, at listeners. least my do hockey yeah. skates. I don't remember it having a toe stop. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But you know, it's the big chunky thing at the, yeah, yeah, at the front. At the front. Yeah, yeah, at the front. Yeah, totally. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Right. Well, I hope your ankle feels better soon. Well, I appreciate that. It will. I mean, it's just it feels like old times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the scar tissue absorbed a bulk of the blow yeah that's true you know? well and i've got <laughs> we could do we could actually do a whole episode on sherry spiegel's ankles starting yeah. with the fact that i had reconstructive surgery on them when i was seven. yeah yeah right. but that story actually physically hurts me to tell so we won't tell it yeah we'll we'll talk about that later folks mm-hmm. we'll or not ever or not yeah or not ever yeah so um interesting mm-hmm you can ask my mother about that. She enjoys telling that story. I do not. Yeah, yeah. Slightly different points of view, you see. Yeah, so. yeah, right. Ah, you know, last week, you made me talk about hope. I didn't make you talk about anything, <laughs> Sherry. I offered you <laughs> a topic fair. of consideration okay. that I that I had on my mind. Um the only compulsion that we may have felt at the time was that you didn't know what it was, and I didn't I didn't tell you on the spot, and the mixer was recording, so maybe that provides a little bit of, a, of an impetus to, to it, feel like coercion. I appreciate it, that. It does. I think there's something that, there's something really weird that happens when I know the record button has been pressed. Um, I actually feel like there's a strange way in which i'm just willing to go with it wherever it goes yeah yeah, yeah. i feel it too i feel it too yeah it's sort of so, a, you jump off the cliff and you learn how to fly on the way down yeah, we'll work it out you know? that's kind of been 36 weeks let's <laughs> hasn't yeah, failed right. us yet <laughs> right Today's so is this, is, this pay, is this payback time for me for, for this or what <laughs> no no i don't think so but so we talked about hope and i uh-huh. think we had a very interesting conversation about hope uh-huh. and they're it's surprising to me good the way I that like, it went yeah yeah our conversations often surprise me but i am always intrigued when they also surprise paul yeah, yeah. Uh, which i think is about half the time anyway so it's fine yeah. um half the time i'm surprised half the time he is it works yeah. out um but no since we talked about hope i think that there's like this element within hope that i it's like a tangential topic but i think it's super related um that i think we should play with today and it's also a topic that you and i have talked about uh quite a bit um and it is the concept of enough Uh, haven't we had enough of this conversation sherry no so the reason that i think it's related right is because Hmm. when we have hope there's a sense that something in our life is not enough. Um, I would say that's true. Mm-hmm. So my question for us to play with today, and notice I'm not saying my question for Paul, so you don't have to take it first, right? But my question is like, how does a person determine what's enough, especially when it comes to themselves? When are we 
enough. When have you done enough? Um, when I mean, have you achieved? Yeah, yeah I mean that's a, that's a question that drives people's lives, mm-hmm. um, and I think it. I don't think I can answer that question in the next three minutes, so that's good. It's fine. You got an hour. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I mean, that's I mean that that was the packaging of the American dream, you know, in in the in the 40s and in the 50s in the post-war boom. You know, you get a you get a good a good union job in a house in the suburbs, and a spouse with two point whatever kids and a barbecue in the backyard. That was supposed to be enough. Except it you. never was. Except it never was. Yeah. And, right? Because that gave rise to the concept of then keeping up with the Joneses. So you get all of that. You move in next door to the Joneses. And then the Joneses get one more thing. Yeah. And the basis of the Joneses is, I mean, the, the basic, uh, the ba- the, fun- the fundamentals of the Joneses and and keeping up with them is the, the nature of comparison. Uh-huh. It's comparing yourself, comparing oneself to the Joneses, to the Joneses. And um, I think people oftentimes, including myself, get caught up in thinking that I will have enough if I am able to keep up with the comparison, the rate of comparison with the Joneses. And uh, that so far in 49 years has not been the case. It has not been the case. Um, doing the things to keep up with the Joneses, who or whoever they may be, has not resulted in a feeling of enough with, enoughness, mm-hmm. even when I have kept up with the Joneses. Right. So, yeah. Um, enough never feels like enough. Right? Um. Does the does the question sort of collapse on itself when when one is asked? So, what do you mean by enough? What do you want? I think that's so. It is hyper local, right? And we have to figure out in what context are we asking the question. Yeah, can you quantify that? How many refrigerators do you need? I don't understand the question. It's it's three, right? N- no. Oh, okay. Do you have more than one refrigerator? I don't, but sometimes I think I could use another one. Well, Paul, how many microphones do you own? About eight. And how many mouths do you have? Right now? Yes. One, one, one. I'm confused by that answer. Well, you know. Sometimes Paul has seven mouths. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask how many mouths do you have to feed. Yeah, so, so you have more microphones than you have mouths to direct them at which is fascinating so yeah um and i do need more cords and yeah so the question of enough i think we do have to point it at a particular area of life so in the world of pandemic living and covid life and remote work right i think that there are a lot of people who are waking up each morning understanding that they have a very complex day before them Maybe it has to do with their kids. Maybe it has to do with their work life. Maybe it has to do with their family. Maybe it has to do with connection. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, ha- it has a lot of pieces to it, right? So when you start your day out in a COVID life, 
How do you know at the end of the day that you have done enough? Oh, boy. Ah, man, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. Um, so, I mean, for me, that takes the form of, well, I've done enough for the day. I'm going to close the email and cook some dinner and put my feet up and catch up on whatever the show du jour on Netflix or whatever it might be is. I'm not, I'm not really sure what the basis of that feeling is, though. Um, there, I mean, there are the set obligations of, well, I do have this class I need to teach. So mm-hmm. before that class meets, I have not done enough. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> one, one could say, well, that's your job and that's what they pay you to do. It's like, yeah, well, and, and they offered that and I did say yes. And that is a personal obligation that I committed to. And not that I don't enjoy it. Um, so yeah, I've not yet done enough at that point. But that's sort of the obvious stuff. And obviously that's not the basis of the conversation. When is it time to say, okay, this is it? I can I can just sort of be until the sun comes up tomorrow, in which case I can go back to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that it's that relationship maybe between being and doing. Mm-hmm. Um, have I done enough to be? And or is my state of being dissettled or unsettled because I have not yet done something? Well, and so you hear these stories, right, Jerry, about these people who have won the lottery or they finally are multi gazillionaires and they have all the stuff in their things. And they finally think that that's going to be the thing that's going to get them to be to a place of happiness. And they're anxious and bored all the time. And they don't have a reason to live and get out of the morning because they never have the do on the radar of something that is going to get them up out of the being. Right. Well, and I think that that relationship between doing and being is really complicated, right? Like we've talked about this before, the yeah. idea of yeah, right. working for the weekend. Yeah. The idea that we can only we are only allowed to be human beings after we have been human doings. Everybody's um, working it, for the weekend. I love it when I get Paul to sing on a podcast. Who was that? Uh, I don't know. I'm bad at this game. Yeah, me too. Um, but you know, one of the things that's interesting, and I was thinking about this because I knew I was going to throw this topic at you today. Um, and earlier today, I got an email from, um, you know, from uh, the guy that runs the Essentialism podcast. What's his name? Greg McEwen. McEwen. Yeah. yeah Greg McEwen, so I got yeah. an email email from his listserv and in it, uh, his topic for the he has these one minute Wednesdays uh-huh. and his one minute Wednesday topic today is relaxing is a responsibility. Yeah. And I don't think we necessarily think of it that way. And and this is I'm asking this question in part because it's the work that I'm doing for myself uh-huh. is 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 it backwards to think that we have to do before we can be or is being actually our first responsibility? Yeah, yeah, because there is this notion of earning one's vacation time and there is this notion of earning one's weekend and you know, what are you loafing around for? We have work to do kind of kind mm-hmm. of thing. Whereas the opportunities to be and enjoy yeah. come at the price of doing. And because um, the big thing used to be like, not only am I working for the weekend where it's like I get Saturday and Sunday off because I work Monday through Friday. Standard old school vacation was what, two weeks out of the year, right? So you work in 50 so you can take off two and go to the beach or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Get in the car and drive somewhere. It's like it's not worth it. Um, and if, I mean, if that's the price to pay, again, I don't think it's worth it to 
you know, to, to do whatever that is that that 50 weeks requires you of that is something that is not of your of your soul. And um, it's 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 tricky. Um, and this is why I think it's interesting that our meditation group, the 730 group is 730 in the morning. It's not 730 p.m. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we're going to be first thing for an hour, at least a couple of days a week. And we're going to see what that is like. Um, if we be first and then do. So we're, we're going to conscientiously put off the doing until later. And we will not feel guilty about it. Right. Right. Because right. you get a lot of that. Um, you get um, some people that I know, uh, mostly students, I got to be honest, uh, undergraduate college students go through this, this state of being or this state of mind where, you know, they, they put so much of their identity into their academic performance because so many people are watching. So many people have expectations of them. Spoiler. They're not watching. They're not watching. Yeah. They just want you to be happy by the way. Um, That um, people get caught up. It's like, it's, it's easier to show them that I'm a success by my, by my transcript than it is by my life. Mm -hmm. And um, as a result of that, it's like, dude, you're getting fried. Um, You have eye strain. You're going nonstop. Um, you're starting to lose sleep. You're not eating well. Whatever you know, you're you're coming up on a on an anxiety disorder in the near future. By the way, if you go if you go down this path, believe me, I have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, take a day off, and you know it's like I can take a day off, and it's like it, it's 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 like doesn't even cross one's mind that Sunday could actually be a day of rest if you wanted it to be and then it's like I took the day off but then I tried to study on the Sunday night and I felt really guilty because I took the day off and I'm never going to do that again it's like did you learn nothing here did you learn nothing here yeah well and so I think this idea of guilt right because it's guilt. guilt it was guilt guilt shame um the idea of surveillance like um I remember the first time I went to uh, the Holy Cross Abbey, and I know I've talked about this on yeah. uh, the podcast before, but come with me, friends, because this was a turning point moment in my life. Um, the first time I went to the Holy Cross Abbey, and I woke up the second morning, like the first morning I was there, and realized literally no one was paying attention to what I was doing. Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. <laughs> and, um, and then what a few a years later, uh, I went to the porches, which is a writing retreat. Um, and so I was gone for a week and I went into it and I was so stressed out because it was a writing retreat. And I knew I had to have something to show for myself at the end of that time to mm-hmm. make it worth it. Um, but what I ended up doing, uh, this is so weird now that I think of it on the books of one of the shelves in the bedroom that I stayed in, I I found a book about meditation. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I kept getting distracted from trying to work on this project because I kept finding this book that is essentially about not doing right. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and so I'm reading this book and I'm like feeling the shame for reading a book about the importance of taking time away right like yeah right so it's so baked in and i feel like um 
I don't know. Like, I've been a perfectionist a lot of my life. And I feel like, Paul, is that something you've ever used to describe yourself? Perfectionist? Mm-hmm. No. Interesting. No. But it's, you've worked... You, you've met a few. Yeah, I, I've met a few. Um, and I find I find them as perplexing as they find me. Yeah. So, you know? uh, as fine, one who finds fine. you perplexing... Um, why why didn't you join our cult? Our miserable cult of dissatisfaction. Ah, boy, you know, I've thought about that. Um, I've thought about that. Maybe I was already getting dissatisfaction in other ways. I didn't need another <laughs> one. <laughs> you know, it's like that that actually like might actually be the answer to that question. Um it's like I I was dissatisfied enough. I didn't need to give myself another reason to be dissatisfied. I was already in the who gives a shit phase. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to, whatever I could do. The nature of my dissatisfaction that I had earlier in my life was not something that could be addressed by perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Because I realized no no act of perfectionism was going to change the mind of anyone that was looking upon me in frowning ways. Mm. They were not looking for me to be perfect, to be perfect. They were looking to me to suffer. So do you think people... So like, all right, cool. So do you think the veil was just torn back? Like you think people had already seen that you weren't perfect, so why should you try to... So why, why bother? Yeah. yeah. You know, why do I... You know, and then and then every everything that I have to say from this point on in the conversation starts with the same three words. Why should I? Mm -hmm. Why should mm -hmm. I? I mean, why should I? Why should I do what other people want? Why should I live somebody else's expectations of me? Why should I do well that that doesn't relate to anything that's meaningful later on down the line? That I'm not necessarily saying that all of these things are true, right? Some of them are, are not. There tends to be a relationship if you want to get a PhD. Eventually, you're going to have to do well on some academic thing, you know, eventually in your life, I guess. Um, but precious few opportunities that I've had or taken advantage of were mm -hmm. predicated on my success at something that's considered a gatekeeper into it. Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten way more done by hard work, honesty, and resiliency, and... Uh, if you listen to our podcast, two podcasts ago, adaptability and ideation <laughs> and connection and, you know, this this kind of stuff, then, then being perfect at anything, you know, um, when, when I've done things perfectly, people say, wow, that's great. When I've done things well enough and got a B minus, it's like, wow, that's great. When I got a D minus, so, I mean, I'm not like literally a homework assignment. When I've done something to the effect of where it would be graded as like a D, but it worked, people are like, wow, that's great. It's like, What's the difference between an A and a C? It's like mm -hmm. in both cases you get a wow, that's great. Thanks for doing that. It's like sure. Okay. Yeah. People people's bars are low. Well, I think that's like um when I was in my doctoral work, I went to this keynote presentation by one of my professors, um, who is probably you know, you don't always find the most compassionate people in academia. That's um, understatement. Yeah. Listeners. It is an understatement. So um, this particular marvelous human being who's no longer at Old Dominion, 
um, but was there at the time. And I was lucky enough to have some classes with him. He had this keynote talk where he was just talking to teachers, which is what he did best. And in that presentation, like he said something that should not have been news to me, but totally changed my, my life, which was there are no, like, there are no deaths in English studies. Like, if you don't grade those papers, no one is going to die. Right. We are literally not brain surgeons, right? So I think it was up until that moment. And God, that was probably 2012. So not that long ago. Um, but, like, realizing that at no point in most of what I do during the day, if I do it imperfectly... No one's going to die. Who decides what this perfect performance is anyway? You know? And so it's like, I need to study for this exam perfectly, or I need to do this report perfectly. I need to do this presentation, and I hope it's perfect. And I need to, who's the arbiter of this, you know, when, when it comes to right down to it? Because I've seen people do things and get, like, the highest scores the highest praise, the highest everything that you can get on something. It's like, wow, that was fantastic. That was really great. Great job, man. That was amazing. It's like, I could have done better. It's like, what are you looking for, right? Where's the, how far away is the ring you're trying to grab on the carousel? Right. Like, you know, you know for, a, for a long time, I carried shame about my SAT score, which I yeah. will tell you that at this current moment, I could not tell you what it was. I don't remember because I don't care. But, for the longest time, like in college, I was so embarrassed about my SAT score, specifically because, Paul, if you had yep. to guess, which do I have a higher score in? Quantitative or verbal? Ooh, this is a trick question, I feel like. What would you assume? You're good at, I would assume verbal, but you're very quantitative. Yeah. And I think you, you low-key like math. I, I, I don't think you low-key like math. I think you actually like math. Yeah. So my verbal score was incredibly high. Yeah. And my, or sorry, my quantitative score was very high. My verbal yeah. score was very low. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I was super, super ashamed of that. Um, while I was at Virginia Tech, do you know what the only purpose the SAT serves? To get you into college. Yeah, it's a gatekeeper. Once you get into college, it literally doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And a lot of colleges will do this these things sort of this way. Um, and I tell, I tell many of my students this. Oftentimes when you, especially, and this is especially true for graduate programs, um, or at least was, it, that's changing a little bit now, now that more people are, are sort of letting go of standardized testing as, as, as much of a gatekeeper as it was. A lot of these places are moving more towards uh, like a, what they're calling like holistic holistic measures for um, for acceptance into mm -hmm. into programs. Um, they would graduate programs oftentimes would post minimum G, in this case GRE you know GRE requirements. It's like if the minimum I don't even know what the what it is you know if the minimum GRE is this number and you you exceed that by ten or fifteen, it's like great. They will never look at that GRE again. It's like all that did was 
mean it was the first pass. They had a quantitative benchmark. Every everybody below that they put in the recycle bin. Everybody above they're going to read the recommendation. It's like it's only there so they don't have to read as many recommendation letters. It's yeah. it's a it's a it's a gatekeeper to to call the herd. Yep. So you can really get into the other stuff. So it's like is that what you, is that what you want your four years, your six years, whatever of work to be is like somebody saying, eh, they're ten points above the minimum. Cool. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I took the GRE. I took the GRE, I guess, twice. Once to get into my master's program. I took it again to get into my PhD program. Uh, both times, I scored uh, very high on math uh, yeah. and right. not so great on verbal. And of course, I'm always applying to English programs. Um, and it's so interesting because you know this semester and every semester before it, I keep having conversations with students uh, who are telling me. Uh, that, you know, they're a bad writer because their vocabulary is terrible. And like, I chuckle to myself because I'm like, friend, friend, like, I bet you got a better verbal SAT score than your English teacher. Yeah. Like, and you know how I got a really good vocab by teaching English for 15 years. Yeah, totally. Totally. I learned more from teaching biology than I did getting a bachelor's degree. Yeah. So don't, don't tell anybody that, Sherry. But it's like okay, uh, er, your secret. I've, I've learned more biology in the last ten years than I did in the first, you know, undergraduate education of it, which is hilarious. I've learned more biology like, since I started hanging out with you. <laughs> the, you've learned more in the last thirty-five podcasts than you have in the. You know, well, whatever. I think your re- your rhetoric repertoire has expanded since it has it, it it has it has and I, I mean i could say the same things and i think one of the things that you and i probably have in common sherry is that on standardized tests my verbal scores were lower than my quantitative ones mm. as well so that is something that we we do have in common with each other um it's like the, the verbal ones it's like i don't know whatever who cares i get by in math it's like well i i study why you you have to study this i don't i don't even understand that it's like why doesn't this just make sense to you and, um but th- that being said i mean we were raised like mean, both my mom and dad were elementary and high school teachers in their lives you know one of the things and, and me and, and both of my sisters had said this you know to ourselves in our lives because we were you know to each other that we were surprised by this when we went to kindergarten there were people there that didn't know how to read mm. and it's like we could read when we were three. You know, it's like our, my mom had us doing math when we were four. It, it's like, it, you know, that's what happens, though, when you when you when your mother is a kindergarten teacher, though. I mean, they start, she starts you young. I think I was doing flashcards, you know, while I was still in the crib mm-hmm. in the hospital after being born. Yeah, and uh, that, I mean, that's that's neither here nor there. But, you know, the resulting trend in my life had been one to where it's like yeah my verbal scores are pretty pretty they weren't low but they they were middling middling at best i would say and my quantitative was like yeah whatever you know 97 percentile i lost a couple from the last time it was that that kind of stuff none of this has any bearing on my high school gpa which i am so proud of because in my experience working with college students today, my high school GPA has been the one of the best stories I have to tell. 
one of the best stories I have to tell. Because they say, oh, Paul, you have a PhD from the University of California. You run an honors program um, at the college. You hang out with all these super smart, smart people like Dr. Spiegel, for example. You guys have this great podcast, um, full professor of biology, and you teach them geology every once in a while, too. You got these publications and these journals, and you know all these other smart people. And Oh, my God, you must have been like a 4.0, 2.1 high school GPA, 2.1. I was right on the line of the bottom one-third and the top two-thirds of my, I graduated in the top two-thirds of my class. I was literally the person on the line. 2.1 high school GPA. I love how proud you are. I didn't go mediocrity. that much. I didn't go that off. Yeah, it's like, and so when people say, oh my God, I really stressed out in high school and I had to do it. So when I see these kids with these three, these like 4.5 high school GPAs, it's like, dude, nobody cares. Well, and nobody so- cares. <laughs> it's like, that's great. Nobody cares and it's going to have nothing to do with your level of happiness you have in your life. It's going to have nothing to do with what, how your life is going to go. It has nothing to do with the trajectory of your karma. It has nothing to do with you as your quality as a person. It has nothing to do um, with your value to society. All of those things are based on decisions that you make every single day of your life. None of that has anything to do with this little number mm-hmm. that you have in on this high school transcript. None of it. A 4.5 GPA, it's like, my God, you've wasted your life. Those are you know? hours you'll never get back. <laughs> you'll never get those hours back. You know, what? you were all stressed out for what? Well, a, a case could be made for nothing. Yeah. Where you, hey, well, my God, you probably took two. You probably took as many years off your life as you put into it with that level of stress. It's like, it's not worth it. Yeah. Go to and high he, school and get a bunch of bees and shit. Bees I'm get the degrees, worst. They yeah, say. I'm the I'm the worst mentor for a high school student you could ever possibly imagine. It's like, no, you don't want to talk to me about this because I'm like, yeah, just get bees, you'll be fine. Because well, I got you know because I got less than that, that was fine. But you know, times are different now. I appreciate that. Yeah. The GPA didn't go to four point nine or whatever it does now, and there weren't all these IB AP kind of stuff. But I mean, that even I think makes it a little bit worse for kids than it did. There was they were sold as opportunities, but they're a curse. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be quiet for a while. I just went on a, like a five minute rant about all of this. I'm going to let Sherry talk for a little bit. <laughs> Give some space in this conversation for Dr. Spiegel to drop some wisdom. That's okay. No, uh, clearly Paul needed to get some of that off his Whew, I feel a lot better Do now, you Sherry. feel better? Thanks yeah. Thanks Your shoulders are lower. Thanks I can see it. Like he's Where's been holding it? that in for a while. 2.1. It was a 2.1. I Sherry. hear you, friend. Well, so, but I mean, I think that speaks to the fact that like, you have not bought into the cult of perfectionism, right? Yeah, because that, that, that was the original question, right? It's uh, like, yeah. have you ever been settled? It's like, no, I have not been settled with perfectionism. I have well, not. So I think the other side no. of this is that I I was not a four point whatever in high school. I think I was always, I don't know what my GPA was. Um, I think it's been important that I forget. Um but I think I think I felt like I worked harder than the average kid. And I always felt like the dumbest person in the room. I think that was always true in my high school experience, mm. right? Um, and so that was just, I don't know. I don't know what it was about high school, but um, 
I got B's. I didn't, A's didn't come easy, except in math, um, actually. Um, God bless Deborah Akers, yeah, my that's, GM. A, that's awesome. Oh, that's yeah. Awesome. Like, I can kill some math classes. Um, but English classes, I always got B's, uh, even up to my senior English class. Uh, I wasn't, um, I tried to fight my way into AP English uh, and was told no. Uh, I wasn't ready. Um, I had AP government and I did, uh, AP calculus both semesters. Um, but I was not seen as being somebody who had strengths in the humanities. Um, and I, most of the time my high school teachers knew my brother, uh, and they knew my brother was... Uh, a talented saxophone player. He was in all the AP classes. He was in drama. He was oh, incredibly outgoing. Yeah, I didn't know um, that. My brother was a lot of things, and yeah, I right. defined, like you started by talking about comparison. Um, in high school, I defined myself by what I wasn't, not mm -hmm. by what I was. Um, and so my, I don't really think I started getting a sense of self um, until... Uh, probably my senior year of high school because I started, I was doing drafting classes and they came very naturally to me because mm -hmm. design comes naturally to me. Right, right. And then right. I ended up the editor-in-chief of the yearbook my senior year of high school, which today sounds like an accomplishment that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, of yeah, course, right. the English professor would have been uh, the editor-in-chief of her yearbook staff, but Paul... Ask me how I got editor-in-chief of my yearbook. You, how did you get editor-in-chief of your yearbook? So I refused to take the bus to work or to school. So my mom dropped me off on her way to school. So I got to school every day, like an hour before like anyone else got yeah. to the school. And Ooh. so the faculty advisor basically saw this student who was always around with nothing to do and figured she'd put her to work. That's how I became the editor in chief. I was you know, basically idle hands. Yeah, and so much, so many things happened that way, though. Yeah, it had nothing to do with like being like the top English student or any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that I went to college. Goes that way. Um, and I went to college, sort of content on the fact that I was a pretty mediocre human and always would be. I went to college to Virginia Tech. I I wanted to be an architect. I didn't. Didn't get into the architecture program. Didn't surprise me because I was a mediocre human. I wasn't going to get into the architecture program. Um, I did not choose to fight to get into the media, into the architecture program because I went to an orientation where they said you had to be really creative. And I stood up and walked out because I was like, I'm not a creative person. I have no artistic ability. There's no way I could ever become an architect. And so I switched my major to English. Because I never believed I was enough. Interesting. And then I started taking these English classes. And then these professors started telling me I was really good at it. And I fought them for so long. Like, I thought that I had just had these brilliant people fooled. Like, eventually these brilliant people were going to wake up and realize that I was a hack. Thus the imposter syndrome that we enjoy today. Indeed. <laughs> Although I think it's starting to lessen because I'm starting to realize we're all imposters here. Yeah, yeah. That's what I. That's what my story is for myself. It's like I can get you out of that. You got imposter syndrome. You don't, don't know how to address it. It's easy. Everyone, you know, everybody's faking it. 
yeah. little imposters. But you know? I think my perfectionism came from, oh my God, I have them fooled. I have to keep up the charade. Yeah. Right? Like, I can't let them know. Yeah, you know, and you end up resenting that not only, you know, the time that you have off, right? Or a weekend or a day on the weekend that you take, but you end up resenting what you've done to that point to create that expectation to begin with. Yeah. And I think our culture, the culture of the Academy, American culture, it rewards that, right? It does. Absolutely, it does. Um, Absolutely. I actually think that Facebook is the busyness performance space. Yeah. Like we all go to Facebook to convince one another that we are the busiest, most productive human being. And the reward for that is um, a nice meal where you can post a picture of what you're eating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the food porn pic that you get at the end for sure. Because, I mean, we... Wouldn't Facebook be interesting if uh, people started posting their, like, abject failures? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, hey, everybody, guess what? I applied for a job and they did turn me down. Hey, everybody, so, you know, I, I proposed to somebody and they said no. <laughs> or <laughs> guess what, folks? I just got dumped. Or, you know, hey, I, I just studied all night for this quiz and I got a C minus. I mean, man, God, you know, that was the... What would, well, you know, Facebook, you know, because these things are, are gamed to, to, to collect likes and, and preferences and things like that. And what if we all just started posting, you know, just called it like uh, <laughs> Honesty Week, where for a week we just posted like the most banal daily stuff that is our lives that is not just the best of things because we we do and this goes back to the joneses facebook is the modern social media version of keeping up with them because yeah. we we see those you know we see these facebook posts and this isn't i'm not saying anything new right we see these facebook posts we see instagram and we see all these things and we said wow this person had an extraordinary 14 seconds of their life that they captured in a photo and they just posted it on this site the rest of their life must be that exact same way too yeah um, you know, the rest of every second of their lives must be as awesome as this one photo with this filter on it that they edited well, afterwards with this person that they say they're, you know, that that's clearly how their entire life is couched. It's the whole thing. Yeah. Do you, um, Paul, do you know the movie Empire Records? I know of it. I have not watched it. I have not watched it. Mm. I will write okay. that down because I'm sure I can find it on something. Yeah, or I could just quote you all the all the words from it. Uh, I could that's do one, that. That's, that's one a service thing. I provide. That, that's one. Um, thing. But so, as a teenager, uh, Empire Records was one of my favorite movies in the world, and it still is. And I study or still celebrate every year uh, on April 8th, uh, Rex Manning Day, a very important holiday in Empire Record fandom. Um, so this is a movie that came out in 1995. So it is all of things that came out in 1995. Um, but within that movie, there is a character and, and she's played by Liv Tyler. Um, and as a teenager, she was the character that I most related to. Um, and so there's this pivotal moment uh, where she comes out of her house and she's being picked up by her friend um, who's played by Renee Zellweger. And you know, she's carrying cupcakes and Renee is like, how in the world did you have time for that? And Liv Tyler is like, oh, you know, daddy says that there are 24 usable hours in every day, right? Mm. 
And this was the character that I most idolized for, like, the longest time. But my brain, like, selectively forgot the part of the plot where we all find out that she has a speed addiction. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, um, there's just this, like, the cult of busy, the cult of productivity. Uh, and, and that's part of her journey is, like, she is just busting her tail to try to get into to the co- the college of her dreams um, and can't pay attention to any of the community around her because she's so focused on success. Right. Sort of the Hermione Granger. Yes. Effect a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Know, absolutely. For sure. Um, Cause I mean, the, I mean, people say, wow, a 2.1 in high school, was there not tension between you and like your parents and stuff? And the answer is, yeah, there was. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, um, to my to my mom and dad, that was not enough. To me, it was. Mm-hmm. What does I mean? And having a two point one high school GPA or not is is one thing. That's not the interesting thing to me. You know, the interesting thing to me now is who's the arbiter of enoughness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, and it's like my mom was like, oh, you're underperforming. You know, high school counselors was like, oh, you're not living up to your potential or whatever that catchphrase is. You know, you're late blooming. It's like, I don't, I'm not a late bloomer. I just don't care. Um, it's like, you're not living up to your potential. It's like, yeah, I am. This is not my potential, but my potential doesn't manifest as a high school GPA. You know, so it's like I, I always had a witty and kind of compelling comeback for all of this. Oh, Paul, why don't you do better in high school? And, and my response to that was like, well, because it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's when you when you talk to like literally every Nobel Prize winner out there, they never talk about how it went in high school. You know, um, to this day, you know, yeah, I do. You know, we both have doctorates from reputable places in admirable fields that sound interesting. I would argue your PhD is actually from a more classically admirable place. Oh, that little place? Uh, you know, it's a little minor public institution right on the West Coast. Don't be that, too gleeful. That has, you know, that has produced more Nobel Prize winners. Than but you know what? <laughs> that PhD led us to the same job. It did. It did. Yet here we both are. And, you know, there are other people, you know, at our place of employ that, you know, do not have PhDs and not from those institutions. So it's like, so what did this get me? You know, it's like, and but, but that's exactly it. Do you do things? Because they're going to get you somewhere. And... Mm-hmm. And that gets into this nature of episode 35, hope, right? And that coming at the expense of joy, which I see everywhere. Because I see a lot of really bright students with really high GPAs being miserable as hell trying to maintain them in the hopes that something better will come along down the line that suddenly will make it all worth it. It'll be so good that it was all worth it. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to see that. Boy, all that hard work and misery. Pay- I, I'd never hear that story. Well, I think. I don't hear that story. The hard work and misery leads to a life after the hard work and misery where you have to learn how to be a human again. Yeah. Right. right? Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, that's part of why I bring this question up, right? Like, this is not a hypothetical question. This is still. Because I got really good at being that college student. Yeah. Once I realized I had 
I could fake fake it into somebody believing I was perfect. Though, spoiler, none of my professors ever thought I was perfect. They knew. They knew. Uh, but I didn't know that. Um, so I I spent all this time and energy keeping up this charade. Um, and then I let that come with me to now I have to be the perfect professor. Now I have to be the perfect friend. Now I have to be the perfect mm-hmm. wife. Right. Now I have to be the perfect daughter. Now I have right. to be the perfect sister. Now I have to be the perfect pedestrian mm-hmm. car driver. Like it's exhausting. It is. Um, it is. And I think, you know, I read Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfections. And, like, that book, like, in fact, I'm thinking, like, she just released, I think, the 30th anniversary edition. And I really think I might, it might be time for a reread. Yeah, I haven't read it. Oh, well, you already know it's a gift to not be perfect. But I think it's time for me to reread it because a um, a lot of these books I read before I was ready to hear them. Um, so I read recently reread the book, um, You Are a Badass. And the first time mm-hmm. I read it, I wanted to be a badass. Yeah. I read it the second time believing, yeah, yeah, I am. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the gifts of, I I am really trying to, um, to see the world, uh, to see myself as gifted in my imperfection. Like, I think that there are some really broken things about me that also make me um, delightful. And I think that's okay. I think it might yeah. be the point. Well, I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the mac and cheese brownie effect. I mean, the best part is the burnt parts are on the outside. Ah, uh, yes, know? yeah. You were trying to think, it's like, okay, where's he going with this? Right. I was trying to decide in what world you think macaroni and brownies should be eaten together. Uh, and I was like, we're done here, Paul. In, in, in 2.1 GPA world, right, is where they belong together. <laughs> um, yeah, because, I mean, clearly, I mean, now that my the, the arc of my, you know, educational life has been laid bare and exposed to everyone, somebody might ask, clearly, your GPA has improved past 2.1 to get you to where you are and the answer is yes it did you know it happened in the in between the second and third year of my undergraduate college my gpa started to go up through the roof um and uh what what happened right is is the Mm -hmm. question it's like so what you do did you decide to get serious did you decide to start studying did you realize that education was really worth it when you something meaningful it's like no no and no none of that is anywhere close you're not even in the ballpark you're not even in the time zone right of of the answer to this question no the answer is no to all of those um what happened is that people stopped expecting me to do something in college people people stopped this gets back to your abby people stopped Mm -hmm. looking yeah. When no when no one is watching me, what do I do? And it's like, well, you know, if people are watching me, I'm going to try to scrape by as barely minimally as I possibly can. When nobody's watching, then I'm only left with myself. I I guess I then when nobody's watching and nobody's expecting literally anything from me, um, what can I do then? What can I do then? And and that will set you free. That set yeah. me free. You yeah. know, and it's like, well, if nobody's going to care, nobody's going to pay attention, nobody's going to ask and nobody's going to watch. Well, I guess I just need to get a 4.0. So, yeah, OK, I'll do that now. And it was that. I mean, it was one semester to the next. It was like, eh, 
I'll be middling. It's like, yeah, I guess 4.0 is okay. I guess I'll do that now. And it's, it's a switchy flip. Mm-hmm. I feel like I proved my point to enough people until they quit needing to be proved. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'll do well now. That's fine. I made my point. Yeah. I got it a 4.0 in my choice. PhD, um, which included my it was uh, graduate level statistics class, um, which then I told other people that they should go and take the statistics class. And there were people who got, who felt like I punked them, like, because it, it broke their 4.0 GPA in their PhD program because they were like, this class was really hard. And I was like, crap, I forgot to tell you my quantitative score is better than my verbal. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's awesome. Sorry. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I think getting a Nick in your GPA is good for you. It is the best thing somebody can do. If yeah. They're in that, under that gun. It's like, get a B in something. You know? Although I don't like this <laughs> advice right now. Um, because, you know, I just bought a new car. And yeah. it's very similar, right? Like That first scratch is a doozy, you know. So Eesh. hard. And um, like somebody co- just, <laughs> somebody just doording the thing and let's get it over with. Like, yeah, I almost like I thought, oh, you know, I should just take my key and just like give it a little. But no, no, no. A little what, what. Yeah. She's perfect. In every way. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I, I, I've, I've even told my husband, like, we don't eat in this car. Yeah, yeah. I know. Right. You got to keep that new car smell for as long oh, as possible. She's so like, perfect. Um, but I think she's the only thing in my life right now that I expect to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, and... Even when it's got a ding in it or two, it'll be fine. Yeah. Do you expect perfection from the people in your life, Paul? No. No. I don't even expect perfection from myself. You know? Um, so how do you know what's enough? Um, for me? For others? Mm-hmm. For everybody? For all of the above? Mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm doing a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, finding enoughness for me has always been, it's always corresponded with doing less, not with doing more. It's always ended up with, I'm doing all this, I'm doing a million different things. Most of them are not making a difference and they're just stressing me out and they're not giving me what I want. And they're not having the effect of changing the world like I wanted them to do or like I thought they might do or I thought they could do or they thought they should do. What am I good at? How can I how can I do what I'm good at to make the world a better place? Mm-hmm. And that if I keep a list of that, that's like what am I really good at? It's like three things. I'm just going to do those. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do those. And I'm going to do them as best I can because my heart's in them. Yeah. And if you, if your heart is in what you do, if you really love what you're doing, um, you will do it well enough that it does make that difference in the world that you want. And it will be meaningful. And it doesn't, when I say meaningful, it doesn't even have to be meaningful to somebody else. It just has to be meaningful to you. You know, um, go move to a, island off the coast of maine and make uh make clocks 
I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's like, what do you want to do? Where's your heart lie in, in all of this? And if you're doing the things you love, you will do them well. Because you're going to do it for yourself and no one else. And when people stop watching, that's when you're at your best, I think. Mm-hmm. When, when people, when you stop living to people's expectations, sometimes you can be left wondering, why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? What am I hoping to get? And how do I feel when I'm doing it? And, and if it's no, 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 right, as I go down the line, um, maybe it's time to think about making some decisions in my life. And... When I like, when I just come to this, you know what? This is all stupid. I'm just gonna do what I'm. I'm just gonna find out. I'm just gonna do the things that I love doing. Things mm-hmm. that, and this is our 100% yes thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if things are 100% yes today, they'll be 100% yes tomorrow. And if they're 100% yes today, and they're not 100% yes tomorrow, you overestimated today because you were excited about something that sounded fun, that you would have hated tomorrow if you had said yes to it yesterday. Um, and, you know, the things that I love, when I, when I spend my energy and my time doing the things I love to do, they are enough. Yeah. And I do feel good doing them. And I don't feel resistance. And I look forward to every day. Um, it requires a little bit of honesty. And um, if you find that you're doing a lot of things that uh, your heart is not in, that you don't love, or that it's time to let go of, what are you looking for? And it's not, you know, and that that is not, you know, I'm going to change my major to this other thing that I love instead. I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about why is it that you're looking for things outside of yourself? You know, why are you as you are not enough? And um, this gets back to, I don't know who said this first. It's probably one of those things where it, it like it predates like written language or something like that. <laughs> the best way to... Um, feel like you have a sense of purpose and kindness and that you're a good person in this world, right? It's like you don't have to convince yourself of that before you do acts and works to demonstrate that. You know, if you want to find kindness, start doing kind things. You know what they are. You don't have to think, you don't have to Google it. What are kind things to do? Um, the easy things that you can do, right? If you're wondering how to be enough, um, what it's like to be kind, hold the door for people. I don't know, maybe make, you know, give some some spare change to the homeless guy or more than that if you're really feeling kind. Just be nice to people, you know? Um, don't expect things from them. Let yeah. people be themselves and um, say, you know what? I think you're great. Congratulations on your successes. And I'm proud of you for completely different reasons that don't have anything to do with that. And and why not start there? And we can we can take that to a place where this whole rich, beautiful, amazing, easier, I got to be honest, not always easy, but simpler um, life of enoughness can emerge from it. It's like, what if I spent my entire life doing the thing I'm doing right now? Oh, my God. For a lot of people, that's hell on earth. Yeah. It's like, you know, for, for me, it's like, what if I spent the rest of my life, you know, working with and mentoring students and having a podcast and, and eating tacos? It's like, oh, a life well lived you indeed. You could do worse. I could you know, do that, man. I, I got was no watch- problem with that. If that's It's like, because I'm like, yeah. if that's the way my life goes, fucking perfect. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Oh, so there's so much I want to comment on there. But, um, you know, you know, uh, I was watching this interview with Dolly Parton 
uh, on the Stephen Colbert show or whatever. Yeah, right. I saw it. something about that today. That, yeah, uh, on my face. I, did, I didn't watch it, yeah. but yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw well, it's worth something. worth taking a look at. But she's, you know, she's. he asked her what she was writing now. And she said that she was working on this song. And she's, you know, sings a little bit of it. And I will not. But the gist of the song that she's, like, working on is basically this love song where it's like, it's like, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, right. It's and and what a refreshing like God. That's the love song we need, right? Like, yeah, it's sure. not a I love you because you do these sixteen things. It's deal with it. I love you. Yeah, perfect. And that's and that's, and that's meta, you know, as it is. It's, it's loving yeah. kindness, you know. Yeah, it's not conditional. It's not a transaction. Right. What do you it's what just, do you say? Love's not cake. It's just Love's there. not pie. Yeah. Love is not pie. That's what I say. No. Yeah, love is not pie. You don't have to. You don't get six slices and then you're out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um. I don't know. I think you know the idea of being enough, and I'm thinking about this more and more about how I've just been trying to live my life, even just the last couple of weeks, just trying to flip my days upside down, um, because a lot of times, like especially as the weather starts to shift and the days are darker, I find it a lot harder to slog through a day in a way that by the time I get to the day, to the end of the day, I feel like I have been productive or enough. Right. right? right. Um, and so one of the things I'm trying to do is to not think about my days in the same way that I always have and trying to block them off into like, morning evening and night and trying to pick two of those times wherein i will be productive and not forcing myself to make it be morning yeah right and so one of the things that's sort of coming out of that is i'm starting um i have a different kind of mental energy first thing in the morning particularly before 9 30 hmm. um and so i'm starting to use that space as kind of different like i've been using it to write for myself uh or to cook or uh to meet up with a friend i haven't seen in a while yeah right and i've i've really had to struggle with that because that is not productive in the classical like i have not no. responded to a single student email oh i'm so unproductive but i'm finding uh that the more i'm able to just be kind to myself the more I'm able to be present when I do turn on the clock and say, okay, now I'm on the clock. Yeah. I'm going to do a thing. For sure. There's there's something about just giving myself space to be the human being before I'm the human doing. That yeah, helps and, me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, can you go your entire life never doing anything that is, you know, difficult and only doing things that bring you joy? Obviously not. Of course not. Right. right. I mean, that's the whole equanimity thing. There's going to be some suffering and sometimes you're going to have to do some things that you don't necessarily want to do. Or do you, right? Um, probably, probably. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a bank, you know? Um, how do you love yourself? You know, a good place to start is doing things you love. Mm-hmm. And, and you can sort of go, go in the back door on that a little bit. You know, you don't have to love yourself first before you do things that you love. You you can start just do it the other way, you know. It's like just do things you love, and it it might work itself out 
from mm -hmm. from there. But the more you do that, sometimes you realize that you have to do some things that you don't love that much. And it's like, well, okay, I love myself anyway, but now I got to do this thing. And it it's 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 not as dreadful a lot of times. Like you said, if you have the support, you know, at home or, you know, if you if you are doing things that are meaningful that you love in your life, it's like you can do those things that you don't love so much. And it's okay. Yeah. Nobody's really watching. Yeah, I think because you have your like, own internal sense of, of what's what's meaningful and important to you. Yeah. Well, and I also think the idea of balance is incredibly important. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, like you said, you 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 got to do some productive things. We don't get to just goof off the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, so at, at some point I told somebody that like one of the best things they could do is, you know, find a slacker friend. Um, but I yeah. really believe in that. Like, I think one of the things that may kept me sane in high school was having some friends who were more of the Paul Fitzgerald school. Yeah, that was they me. I was going to say that was totally to have me. that A GPA, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a few years ago, uh, I met um, someone who's still a dear friend of mine. Um, and I think he would tell you that he is much more of a slacker than I am. And we were close mm. friends for a small enough. <clears throat> I mean, we're still friends, but we were really close for a short period of time where I think we rubbed off on each other in just the right way to where I think, you know, that was when I did my autumn of average. And so every time I yeah, was trying to right. do something, I would ask my friend Aaron, like, is this the right way? Like, is this what you would do? And he was like, Oh no, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. Um, but I also think Aaron, uh, from our time together, and it's probably not because of our time together, but I think, like, Aaron has become more productive, and I have become less productive. Yeah, right. And I think both of us are more satisfied yeah. because of that balancing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. For sure. So um, that's what I would say to all my perfectionist friends out there. Find a friend that describes themselves as mediocre. Yeah, because they yeah. know what it's like to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, a on a transcript, A stands for excellent, but it also stands for anxiety. Uh, a B, a B stands for good. B also stands for balance. Mm -hmm. You know, balance, and so mm -hmm. it's all it's all it's all a, a perspective on that as as well. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Ah, well. Do we think we've had enough of this topic? What an interesting topic it was, too. Oh, what an interesting uh -huh. topic it was. Um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a trick for a lot of people right now, I think. You know, it especially is. in COVID. It's like, is your degree of human interaction enough? We've talked about that, you and me. Is, um, is the screen time we have too much? You know, so what is enough now, you know, as we go through our daily our daily chores and our daily lives what is enough mm -hmm. and what is and too it much, comes back to the know? beginning of our conversation which was about figure skating and yeah. you know what the key to figure skating is what is it balance yes 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 a lesson in life a lesson in life mm -hmm. an maybe awesome, i'll send I'll... you that picture later yeah, maybe uh, we'll post it if we if we do. Right. We will not. Paul will never see it because he has now said that statement. Perhaps it'll be on the Patreon page, right? For <laughs> for our patrons, right? For a yeah. cost. Oh, I don't think it's that interesting. But uh, yeah, 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 it's an interesting one. It is an interesting one. 
awesome. It's awesome that you have it. Um, I mean, you know, when I was in high school, they told me what enough for me was because we had to take that test that told us what careers we should go into, right? With right. Our, with our I've forgotten what you got. I kept that. I, well, the, my top two were, um, what were they? Uh, geologist, believe it or not, <laughs> and uh, bus driver. My husband has been a bus driver, and yeah. he still thinks it is one of the most satisfying jobs he's ever had. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like when I saw that, it was like, this is the stupidest thing ever, because I'm like, what, 15 or 16 taking this thing? Um, and what do I? What did I end up doing after I became a professional academic? It's like, well, I put students in a van, and I drove them to geology rock sites. It's like, well, hell, maybe this thing is more accurate than I'm terrifyingly led to believe. Yeah. Mine told me I should be a lawyer, which people were like, oh, she can't talk in front of people. This would be terrible. What is she going to do? Talk yeah. for a living? Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. 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 I still what have mine. I should, I, should, I should scan it and post it somewhere. That'd be a hoot. You should. Right alongside my picture from figure skating. Yeah. Whoa. I see. I hear a blog in the making here about this. So. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I'll write a blog about balance and post that picture on it. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, well, I, I do have my old, do I have my old report card? I think I do have my old report cards. That'd be yeah. interesting to go through. You can see cool. just B's and C's and D's on that one. They all got degrees. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks, Paul. I thank, always think that you are enough. Thank you, Cher. I always think that you're enough as well. And um, I hope our listeners think that this is enough to keep listening. And we appreciate them, too. You know, most people, I think, think I'm extra. So thank you for saying I'm enough. I don't know what most people think of me. I'm a little bit afraid to ask. I've been collecting data. I'll let you know. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Sherry. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel. Paul Fitzgerald and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com.